For you are great and greatly to be praised, and there is none like you on all the earth. You alone are God. You are awesome in every way. There is none like you. You alone know what we think. You alone are where we are. You alone can see what's coming ahead. We magnify you. You are awesome in every way. And we thank you. We thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. God is good, isn't he? All of the time. Well, as you're taking your seat, greet three neighbors and just say, it's good to see you this Sunday morning. Praise God. Well, happy, merry post-Christmas. I know in my household, I still have the Christmas tree up. The unwrapped gifts are still under the tree. Some of them are anyway. And um, decorations are still up, and I'm still turning my lights on at night. I have some neighbors that had their tree out yesterday morning on the curb. Lights down. New Year's Eve flags are waving in front of the house. Praise the Lord. I'm just not that efficient. Because we're still celebrating the birth of our king. Amen. And so, I, I, you know, this being the first Sunday after Christmas, I'm still in Christmas mode. Don't tell nobody, but I'm still finishing up some Christmas shopping, too. <laughs> hey, Minister Deanna Jo, she feels me. Just some things she didn't, didn't quite think about. But anyway, with that being said, you know, during this season, just as last Christmas Eve, when we had our Christmas Eve service, we we're oftentimes pondering what it was like on that evening, the evening that Jesus was born. How many of you imagine in your mind's eye what that evening was like? If you're anything like me, I have a very vivid imagination. So I can go way far with it. But I imagine that the skies were clear. The stars were shining bright. There was a little neighing of the sheep, some mooing of the cattle. People were hustling in the city trying to get to their place of birth for the census. There's a little hustle and bustle going on, not for shopping, but to get back home. And, 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 and you know, just, it was just a calm night, much like the song that Mama Mildred sang on, on Christmas Eve. Sing it with me. Silent night. Watch me. Holy night. All. Y'all would have to be there to know what I'm talking about. But anyway, 
So, you know, I, I imagine that it was nice and sweet and silent and that everything was prepared and staged for Jesus' entry into the earth. But then there's another side of the story. Let me share this little example for you. Uh, Wednesday before all the Christmas uh, uh, celebrations and everything else, we had our staff meeting and our staff luncheon, our little Christmas celebration, and I brought in some decorations, and I had just bought these big old lights that were on sale, and I was excited. I was like, I want to decorate the little uh, area, and I want to make it look pretty and festive. And so I go get these big old lights, and Latoya, who was working for us as a receptionist at the time, she said, Mr. Trisha, you need some help? I said, yeah, help me, girl. So she's helping me put these things together, and they were really difficult to put together. We opened up the box and there was a picture of what it was supposed to look like. And so we just dove right on in, took everything out and started putting them together. But them things was hurting. I mean, my fingertips was getting numb and and were red. And we're trying to figure out, surely this piece don't go here, but don't other pieces go here. And we're really working hard. And she's complaining like, doggone, man, what did you buy? I said, "I, I see why it was on sale now. And so then Minister Charles, being the wise man that he is and the very helpful young man that he is, he says, Minister Church, y'all look like y'all struggling. You need some help. I say, yeah, baby, we need some help. We're struggling over here. Maybe it takes a man's strength to get these little things in the hooks. And so he sits down and he's trying to do it too. And he's like, it can't be this difficult. I say, I know, right? Christmas shouldn't be that hard to celebrate and decorate. So anyway, he gets up and he's looking through the boxes and everything else. And he knows that there's an envelope taped to the top of the lid of the box. And he opens up the lid of the box, and he's like, MG, look. And I look, and it's the instructions and a whole packet of these little tablet things that you use to put the thing together, which made the whole situation. We went from putting one together in about an hour to putting all five of the four of them together in about an hour, an hour. So needless to say, I felt really, really small not having gone through all of the contents of the box opening up every shred of information and finding the instructions and the extra tools that would have made it easier to assemble. That being said, Christmas, we have this imagination, we have this story that we know about, you know, the, the, the stars were bright and we, and we imagine all that happened that night. But how many of you know there's still another part of the story that was going on and it was just as active just as alive as what was happening here on earth. And it's heaven's side of the story. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Because the story starts back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Just to give you the foundation, we already know God created the heaven and the earth. He created man. Man names the animals. He brings about woman, world man. She's on the earth. Both of them are in love. They're springing forth, living life, enjoying the company of God. Then she wanders off, and she's in the, in the, uh, in the midst of the garden, and then she runs into the deceptive creature called the serpent, the, the enemy. He deceives her and tricks her into eating of the fruit of the midst of the tree. She then beguiles her... Uh, Gives it to her husband. He eats it too. They fall. Their eyes are open. They realize they're naked. They sew fig leaves together to to cover themselves up because they realize that they were naked, i.e., exposed, unsheltered, unshielded. And then God walking through the midst of the garden, he says, Hey, Adam, where you at? Where you at, buddy? And Adam's like, "Uh, I hid myself because I knew that I was naked. He said, Who told you that you were naked? And then the rest of the story. And so God immediately deals with the serpent. And then right after that, he deals with the devil. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, 
He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I believe at that point, God didn't spend a whole bunch of time talking about what happened. He didn't spend a whole bunch of time rehearsing how did this uh, come about. He did not rehearse how do we not do this again. There were already consequences set in place for their disobedience. That was going to happen, but immediately God had a response. Immediately, God had a plan for their redemption. Immediately, God was trying to figure out and had put in place a way of escape. Immediately. Now, on the earth, it took thousands of years to manifest. But I personally believe that it took that because we are restrained by this thing called time. But how many of you know that the creator of time is not limited by time when he's in his own domain? So I believe at that point, heaven dispatched angels and everything else to handle what just happened. I believe at that point, right after that happened, the angel's like, there's our command. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Let's roll. So we pick up the story then in Genesis chapter, I mean, not Genesis, Revelations chapter 12. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 12. Now, we read the story of the birth of our Lord in Luke chapter 1, Matthew, I mean Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and we pretty much know that story, but I believe my assignment here today is to give you a glimpse of what might have been going on and what was going on in heaven, because it'll help you understand that you were not just fought for and won here on earth, but you were fought for and won for in heaven as well. God was so in love with you that he mandated that we sell once and for all their redemption, their deliverance, and their salvation, not only on earth, but in heaven. And, you know, in this story of Revelations chapter 12, there's a, there's a much debate as to the exact interpretation, but the scholars agree that here the reference is to the birth of Christ and to the birth of the church. Now, if you think about Jesus and his birth. We know and understand that he thought it not robbery to take on the form, to being as God, relinquished that and took on the form of man. And he was humbled, humbled himself all the way to the obedience of the cross, right? So when you think about it, how many people were in the military? How many vets do we have? All right. How many of you that were, that are vets served during a wartime? You served during a wartime. Now, you think about it. Let's take it back. Let's break it down. Make it real. Keeping it 100. You left, in most cases, especially if you left at 18, 19 years old, there was the comfort of your home, a cushiony bed. You had your shower. You had your bathroom. You had your clothes. You had liberty to go and come when you wanted to, Right? You had, if you were still at home, you had mama's cooking or you could at least eat what you wanted to eat and all this here stuff. So you had your creature comforts and the things that you were familiar with. You knew people from around the way you grew up with some of these people. And so now you are led to enlist or you're recruited or whatever the case may be. And you find yourself entering into boot camp. And when you went to boot camp, bam, reality hit. Oh, I can't go to bed when I want to go to bed. 
It does not behoove me to stay up till one o'clock in the morning talking on the phone. My mattress is about six inches, about five inches thick, and the bottom of that mattress is not a box spring, but some springs. Hello. I better make these, uh, this bed up with military corners, and it better be tight. If you grew up with, during my, like my daddy in the military during the Vietnam age, they would literally flip that quarter on that bed, and it better bounce. And that's how I still make my bed today. So, with that being said, you understood you left the creature comforts of your home and what was natural to you, and you are now entering into a whole new world. And then, mind you, you get used to being in boot camp for a little while. After some time, you're sort of like, okay, this is what it is. But then they decided to deploy you. I remember with Jay and Tamika, when Jay being an army ranger, he was deployed a few times. And she would send pictures that he would send back home of what it looked like for him. And he no longer got a chance. He started to appreciate that five-inch mattress that was on some metal springs because his his bed became a three-foot hole in the ground. He might get a chance to squeeze in three hours of sleep. To this day, he still takes five shots in his coffee of espresso. I don't know, you know, and so he understood, and military folks, when you're deployed into war, you understood that you are leaving all the comforts that you're used to to fulfill a mission. Now, let's just imagine Jesus and what heaven was like when he left heaven. Mind you, the streets were paved with gold. Mind you, the sea was as glass. His throne was a, 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 a majesty, a majestic throne. Just think, I just imagine the angels are over here. Dude, we got to pack up spiritual gear. He needs patience. He needs kindness. He needs love. He needs miracles. He needs, they're packing up his spiritual suitcase. I imagine over here, there's another set of angels that's giving him instruction. Okay, so this is what skin's going to feel like. This is what your mind's going to think. This is the temptation that you may. I told you my imagination is very vivid. <laughs> and I imagine the heavenly father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He's about to redeem back unto me my original creation. And almost as if I imagine a tear was in his eye that I'm sowing my son. I'm sacrificing him for the salvation of mankind. And it's not so much that he was going to come to the earth and humble himself and leave all the luxuries of home. But I think God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus was very well aware that there was going to be a time where there was going to be total separation. So I would imagine that though we sing the Silent Night song, heaven was very robust and active. There was a lot going on in preparation, anticipation, and the fulfillment of that day and that season. And here we go, the other side of Christmas. So if I was to ascribe a title, the title of this would be Beyond Silent Night. Revelations chapter 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child 
who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there 1,203 score or 60 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice, says John, in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And then it's concluded by saying, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Here is heaven's depiction of that day, of that season. Like I said, scholars go back and forth, but we're going to focus in on that being what heaven was experiencing during that season of the birth of Jesus. See, it wasn't silent night in heaven, nothing but that. There was a war going on. And we know that because we know that right after Jesus was born, Herod has dispatched people and was intending to kill Christ. So let's break it down a little bit for you, just briefly, so you get some insight. The woman here, scholars say, represented the earth. The earth was panged with sin, with, with depression, with frustration, with the need of redemption. And the earth was crying forth and now pregnant, ready for its salvation. And then it says here, the moon was under her feet. So we understand that the earth is clothed with the sun, the light of the sun, right? But the earth, its light comes from where? The moon. What did I just say? The moon, its light comes from where? No. Because if the light of the moon came from the sun, wouldn't the sun be just as bright as, wouldn't the, the moon be just as bright as the earth? The earth's light is given to it by the earth. But the moon's light is given to it by the earth. It's the reflection of the light that's on the earth, which is why you only see it at nighttime. And so then it says, goes on to say that this crown of 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of, uh, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. The dragon, we know, being the serpent, that devil. Seven heads representing the seven hills that's within Rome. The ten horns representing the ten provinces of Rome during that time. The seven crowns being the five kings past, the one that was current, and the one that was to come that would lend his hand to uh, try and uh, stop the population of the church. One third part of the stars cast down to earth was about the population of those that will betray and defy Jesus during his ministry here on the earth, but yet were part of the lineage of Abraham. And they were vigilant to destroy Jesus or his church, even at his birth. Verses 6 and 7, the woman safely delivers the man child thought to be Jesus. She's protected for 1,260 days, which equals about three and a half years. Scholars debate that, you know, during the, when Jesus was first born, He was born in Bethlehem, had to stay there for a season, about two years. We know that. And then the angel tells Joseph, take the woman and the child and go to Egypt. So from Bethlehem, they go to Egypt. And it's thought to be right around three and a half years that they were traveling, trying to avoid Jesus's, uh, trying to defy the king's attempt to kill Jesus. 
But then again, other scholars say, hey, but this is because we're talking about the church. The three and a half years also speaks to the ministry of Jesus while he was yet on the earth before he died. And then it says here, verses 8 through 10, war is waged. The angels are fighting the dragon and his cohorts. The enemy loses. He's cast out of heaven and onto the earth. We know that he is in the earth today, right? He deceives the whole world continually. But to answer that, Jesus and his price that was paid offered us salvation, redemption. He teaches us kingdom instructions and how to live above today's common consequences and circumstances. And then it goes on to conclude here by saying, but we overcome him by the blood of the lamb that downgrade, that sacrifice, that vulnerability, that separation ended up giving us the power of that blood and the logos, the word that we speak of our testimony, the, our evidence that God's word, of God's word and his power being resonant here. So there are lessons to be learned beyond silent night. Understand, when you have a, a glimpse of what was really going on in the spirit, just like Elijah when, when he was with his servant and all of Babylon was coming up against him, and he's like, hey, they're about to defeat us. And he said, you just got to open up your eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes so that he could see. And there was a whole legion of angels waiting to go and wage war. Well, the same happens for you every single time. So there are lessons to be learned beyond silent nights. So here is where I want you to start taking some notes. Number one, lessons to be learned beyond silent night. Number one, live from a higher perspective. Living from a higher perspective. When you become in Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you now are elevated to be very aware and cognizant that you are a spirit being. I equate this to a lot of times when we fly. And when we're in that airplane and we go down the, the runway and we're, we're on the tarmac, we go down that runway and we start taking off and, and there's a degree of elevation that the airplane starts taking. And the higher and higher we go, what was just common everyday sizing, common in everyday situations, common in everyday happenings, becomes smaller and smaller and smaller the higher we go. And I oftentimes find myself thinking, or I'll find something to stare at. I'll look at the building. I'll look at a car that's driving and, tra- and, and, and tell it, it as it's driving. And I often say, God, this is exactly how you are. They don't know it. They're running about life, doing what they do, but someone from above is looking at them right now. Understand that when you are, when you understand that you have been elevated to a spiritual perspective, Things that would be aggravating, things that would be commonplace, things that just would, be, would take you out your square becomes minuscule. It becomes nothing. When you are aware of enemies' devices and who he uses people and how he uses people to get you distracted and off course, when you go high in him, you're able to see the big picture for what it really is. And not talking about people, but then all of a sudden your perspective about people that always causes drama, people that seems to walk in just persecution and affliction, you're able to more easily, what, what, what's this? And that translates you from being aggravated by them to being, feeling pitiful for, for them. So understand, saints, that you have to live from a higher perspective. Because there is a heavenly existence that's very real. 
But if we get caught up and entangled in the cares of this world, we can't see beyond what's eye level. Can't see beyond what's eye level. Understand this. I don't care what kind of change you have to make. You know, this is a new year, and we all, uh, you know, entertain what we need to do differently this year, goals and and aspirations for this year. And it's not going to come about just doing what you always do. See, you know, there's, I like boiled eggs. How many, any of y'all like boiled eggs? They do nothing for your breath, but I like the way they taste. I cannot get a boiled egg at 211 degrees or 99 degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit. Boiling point is 100 degrees or 212 degrees. If I'm at 211 degrees, it's not going to boil. It's going to be hot. It'll burn me. It's more than enough to take a nice bath. But it won't cook the egg. But the minute you take it up another degree to 212 degrees, it starts boiling. It creates steam. You got friction and you got all this going on in the, in the water. If there's a steam engine, if there's pressure needed to generate electricity, that temperature has to breach 212 degrees. Not 211 but 212 degrees. And the minute it switches to 212 degrees, now you have pressure, now you have steam, and now that steam engine can go. Now you got movement. Now you have energy. Understand this, saints, I don't care where you are in life, but if you take on the mindset that all I need is one degree of change, action, and the course of your life can change forever. If you just adopt, stop trying to be John the Baptist, T.D. Jakes, and Kenneth Copeland all wrapped into one. One degree of change in your thinking, one degree of change in your behavior, one degree of change in your action can change your course for a lifetime. Let's just start there. I'm talking about living from a higher perspective. Number two, God has the answer to your issues, and he's not phased by your disobedience, your sin, or your mistakes. He's not. He didn't spend a whole lot of time with Adam and Eve rehearsing what happened. See, this is what you should have did. This is what you could have did. This is what you would have did. He didn't do all that. At the point of your missing the mark, at the point of your sin, at the point of your disobedience, he instantly has a plan and an answer in place to get you out. And guess what? He doesn't even answer your prayers according to that. He's not limited to your foolery. He's not. Now, mind you, the promises are conditional. So how fast, how quickly, and how abundant your answers come will be measured by your obedience. But understand that he's not limited to that. I thank God as much as I jacked up some stuff. B.C., and after Christ. <laughs> I mean, I was still in stupid, though. I was still, you know, I, I, just stupid. I, was, I mean, when I say stupid, I stupid. <laughs> Before and after my salvation. But I thank God that he didn't give up to, on me before salvation until I came to an awareness and a revelation of what he did and who he was. 
He didn't limit his goodness in my life to what I was doing. So when you understand that God is not limited to your bad behavior, but it's his love that wins us to repentance. It's his love that says, you know, I love you. So understand this. I'm married to Joe E. Gregory. I love that man. I love, I love, I love that man. I, I mean, ooh. I love me some Joe E. Gregory, but I don't do what I do for him to win his love because I know he loves me. I respond to his love by doing what I do for him. You understand the difference? I'm not scared that he's going to stop loving me because I don't cook. I'm not scared that he's going to stop loving me because I don't clean up. I'm not scared that he's going to stop loving me if I decide not to be in the ministry. I'm not scared that he's going to stop loving me because I didn't I don't know, answer the phone on the second ring. But it's because I know he loves me, I am now more inclined to be attentive to his needs. It's because I know he loves me that I want to please him. It's because I know he loves me that I want to keep him happy and satisfied. (laughs) Yes, satisfied. Y'all so nasty. (laughs) So understand that God has your answer instantly. Instantly he has your answer. The issue comes down to are you in a position to hear? Are you even in a position to receive? Are you in a position to even believe? How many of you have thought, There's been some thinking and some thoughts and aspirations and goals, and you're like, whoa, that's big. Whoa, that's big. Whoa. And you're like, maybe for later. I need to do this. What? Maybe for later. Yeah, we have our seasons, but God's showing you some things because he's intending for you to act. Amen? Amen. Number three, faith is required to obtain that answer. Faith is required to obtain that answer. It takes faith to pray. It takes faith to obey. It takes faith to act. It takes faith to continually confess. Understand that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you know how many people I know work to please God? And don't believe nothing that the word of God says. They will serve all day. They will give all day. And there is no faith. They worry all night. And they think they're pleasing God. Now, mind you, you're sowing seed. There's a promise in the earth that there's going to be a harvest. But that's not pleasing God at all. Faith pleases God. When you believe who he is, when you believe he's bigger than any situation, when you believe he's bigger than any circumstances, when you believe he's bigger than your past, when you believe he's bigger than your ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, or husband, when you believe he's bigger than your daddy not being there, when you believe that he's bigger than your mistake, when you believe that he's bigger than that demotion or that firing, when you believe that he's bigger than anything you can face, when you know, truly know, beyond singing a song, that you are God alone, he's pleased. He's pleasing this as if you take this posture that God, 
to my, just like my husband a few years ago. You're going to have to get it done because it's beyond me. And let me tell you, he ain't going to be mocked. He's not going to be mocked. He'll show up just so that, he can, so that he can show you that he's pleased with your faith. Number four, God operates with the end in mind. God operates with the end in mind. Genesis chapter 1, we know and understand that he started this whole situation by saying, let us create man and woman in our image. That's what it started with. He didn't say, let's revitalize this old rock. He didn't say, I want to see if the water can separate from the earth. None of that. He said, let's create man and woman in our image. And with that being said, he started with the end in mind. He said, son, be, light be. It's been ever since. Okay. We'll, take the, we'll, we'll, we'll rotate it on its axis so that there's night also. Then there's the first day, day and night. Waters recede, land come. Seed, animals, everything that's on this earth was for your comfort. Everything was for your dominion. Everything was for your provision. Everything in the earth was for you. It wasn't this big old architectural project. He did all that so that you could see that he is God alone. It's like playing chess. I was watching this movie the other night called The Life of a King. And it was about a man who used, it was a true story about a man who used the game of chess to get kids in Washington, D.C. off the streets. And he kept saying throughout the entire movie, chess is not about moving pieces, but understand that every piece you move affects your end game. Think before you move. In fact, that was what was painted on top of the building. Think before you move. But with God, even when you move erroneously, even when you move out of step, even when you move out of season, even when you make the wrong move, then he's saying, Romans, that he is able to make all things work out for the good for those that love. He will take your messiest mess, your nastiest mistake, your biggest issue, and he will use that to orchestrate something beautiful and divine. I've seen him use my enemy. I didn't like them and they didn't like me. Come back and be a huge blessing to me. They didn't know it. They was in it for the money. But I knew that it was God's redemptive plan and, and get me over into forgiveness. I've seen woman, a wife, who, whose husband had child out of wedlock, an adultery, out of an adulterous affair. God used her to bring that son back home. Something ugly, but you see this great display of love. I've seen wives who later divorced their husband come, become good friends with the reason why they got a divorced woman. And the reason why they got a divorced woman ends up hooking her up with a job. How does that happen? <laughs> In other words, God, if you're willing and obedient, he said you will eat the good of the land. <laughs> 
And once you're open and you live life from a higher perspective, none of this phases you. And you know God can use any of this to work out his plan in your life. Now, with that being said, there's some points up other, under that. I already talked about how he can use everything and work it off for our good, but understand that we have to love God, and to love him is to obey him and be called according to his purpose. Understand that we're not trying to fulfill our will in the earth, but we're trying to fulfill his will in the earth. Understand that our weaknesses, our hurt, our bad choices, and our mistakes don't hinder him from accomplishing his will. And that when we're faced with challenges, you got to know that there's a war already being fought. As soon as the situation happened, war was lodged. Do y'all believe that? Number five, know your battle plan. Know your battle plan. Like I said, I believe right before Jesus left heaven, his, he had his army angels over there saying, okay, Jesus, this is the strategy. What do you say, commander-in-chief? He's like, yeah, I think, yeah, okay, that's cool. But I need Michael, I need you to be on your post. And everybody, you listen to Michael because I'm leaving him in command during the war. All this is being exchanged right now. Understand that when you are here on the earth, you came as a soldier. When you received Jesus Christ, you, had, you were given a uniform, and that uniform is the armor of God, and you are engaged in war every single day. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself responding to life instead of being in control of your life. And it was never God's will that, uh, uh, that you are just simply responding to life. That's when life lives you. Instead of you living life. Now, when you know your battle plan, you know you, you have a strategy. And these are core strategies in, in common battle plans. Understanding that there is power in numbers. There's power in numbers. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks about how two are better than one. And that a three-strand cord is not easily broken. There's power in numbers. So that's why you see a lot of times they send out a whole platoon. It might be to take out one man, but they understand the more set of eyes you got on a situation, the more of an advantage you have. Your sisters and brothers in Christ are necessary. They are necessary. Revelation chapter 12 talks about how Michael and his legion of angels were at war. Jesus said, hey, You don't take my life, I lay it down. If I wanted to, he even made it known. I can call a legion five times as much as y'all standing here to take you down. Now, mind you, they sent 200 soldiers out to get Jesus. But when you understand whose side you're on and who's on your side, when he said, I am he, they all fell back. How does one man saying, I am he, three words, and 200 men fall back? Part B of that, there's power in unity. There is power in unity. Matthew chapter 18 talks about if any two of you shall agree in touching anything on the earth, that, it, that whatever you ask, it shall be done for them. And when I, when I think of unity, I think of the redwood tree. Have you been out to California? You're from California. You've seen those redwood trees. They are huge. They are gigantic. The base of the tree, the trunk of the tree is as wide as a Greyhound bus. It's huge. 
They reach as high as 300, 350 feet. They are taller. They can grow taller than the, than the Statue of Liberty from the ground up. They are huge. But you never see a redwood tree by itself. Never. And they grow on moist ground. So we know and understand that with a, with a big tree, usually it means what? That the roots run what? The roots run deep, right? With a redwood tree, as big as it is, yeah, the roots run kind of deep. But what keeps those trees standing is the fact that when the roots go down, they then go out. And they grab hold to other roots within its region. And those roots bind together and they join together, which is why you always see a forest of redwood trees. You won't see one. Because after it gets a certain height, it takes the moisture up to its seedlings and it drops the seedlings onto the ground around it so that its survival rate is assured by other trees being around it. So even if one was to cut a tree down, that tree roots would then go and find its way to another set of roots. Oh, if the body of Christ would just get that. If y'all would just get that. Power, there's power in unity. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and them, they go out and, and they, they preach and, and they were in jail and they're released and everything else. And then, and then they, 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 well, let me read it. Acts chapter 4, I'll read it to you because um, there's power. But with that being said, part C of that is there's power in being in faith prayer in your own company. Acts chapter 4.23 says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And then you pick up in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There's power in numbers. There's power in unity. There's power in faith and prayer with your own company. Knowing your battle plan. Now, I am in a season of expectation. I am. Not because it's the end of the year and I'm believing God for some things to happen in 2015. That's true. But I'm in a season of expectation. There are some things that were told to me and the season seems to be coming up. And yesterday when I was outside, I took my daughter to track practice and I decided to do five miles. I walked ran five miles while she was doing her track practice. And I'm looking about, and I'm like, wow, it's 76 degrees. I'm out here running on December 26th in shorts and a T-shirt. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. It's not Orlando, Florida. And I'm like, wow. Get a call from my brother-in-law. He said, folks out here done lost their mind. They got tops down. They got, they out washing cars. I mean, it's real up here in Detroit because it's 71 degrees. I'm like, wow. And the Holy Spirit, just, God just softly told me, he said, just because it might not look like your season doesn't mean that I'm not at work. Just because it doesn't look like your season, I proclaim that for somebody here. Just because it don't look like it, just because it don't seem like it, just because the bills are piling up, just because you might still be unemployed, I don't care what it looks like, it does not mean that your season is not at hand. But you stay in a place of expectation, and God has a tendency, a lot of times, the longer it takes, the bigger it is. 
the longer it takes, the bigger that thing is. You can't, you, you, you looking at the wrong person. You can't convince me otherwise. You can't convince me. I've seen God after I waited. I mean, you just think about my husband. He had to wait, wait eight years and you see all this glory he got. <laughs> But a lot of times, the bigger that, the longer you got to wait, the bigger that thing is. The question is, how much of expectation are you standing on? Where's your faith? We all get weary. We all get tired. But as long as you reset and you build yourself back up on your most holy faith. Then finally, number six. Have your weapon of choice, and you better know it. Have your weapon of choice, and you better know it. Martial arts, my weapon of choice was the staff. My staff was a little less than seven feet long. It had a certain weight about it, and it had to be made out of a certain hard wood. There are different types of wood that they'll make it out of, but mine's, I can't tell you what the name of the wood was, but it's a hard wood, so that when I struck it had a certain feeling to it. It wouldn't vibrate up. When I went to do, do a different turn, it would go exactly where I knew how to adjust it so that it wouldn't hit anything else. I knew exactly how far I had to extend it to trip. That was my weapon of choice. Couldn't do nothing with no stars. Couldn't do nothing with nunchucks. Nothing. But you give me these and my staff, I was good. Swimming, my race, because some of you got to fight, but some of you are in the race. When I swam, I, I swam the I am. That's what I was known, the I am in the backstroke. The I am is the individual medley. You do 100 yards of breath, uh, butterfly, 100 yards of back, 100 yards of breast, 100 yards of freestyle. My race was the backstroke. Couldn't do nothing with the butterfly. I looked sweet when I was doing it. <laughs> but I wasn't real fast with the butterfly, especially 100 yards of it. But once I made that turn, those two feet hit that wall, I'm on my back, I'm, I'm dolphin kicking out, I got you on that backstroke. I don't care where you were on that butterfly, I'm getting you on that backstroke. <laughs> that pinky come out that water, and it's all good. <laughs> But that wasn't the end of the race, because see, I still need to get to the breaststroke. So if they were going to catch me, they were going to catch me on that breaststroke. But see, my second artillery was that freestyle. You see these shoulders and these arms? That's not by accident. <laughs> I knew what to do with these shoulders and these arms. So as soon as those two hands hit that wall, I was off that wall in less than a second. They timed me. I'm off that wall in less than a second push off. And if you beat me, you had to work real hard to beat me, but that was rare. Know your weapon of choice. When it says there that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, see the blood, that was already settled. Their faith in that blood is what gave them a testimony. But understand when he says the word of the testimony was not just your story. We all have a story. We all came from something. You all have a would have, could have been, could have been, should have been type of situation. 
Some of you are walking in it right now. But that word, word there is logos. It's that written word that you know. What written word that you know can you ascribe that gave you evidence, that gave you power, that gave you authority, that gave you thinking to obtain a testimony? What was it? What is it? What is it going to be? Remember, one degree of change could change the course of your life for a lifetime. So we're about to enter to a season of fasting and prayer. Next Sunday, Pastor Gregory's going to be up here talking about the power of fasting and prayer. And in his ministering about fasting and prayer, you will be invited and encouraged to participate. And if there's something you're believing God for, whether it's an increase in your business, whether it's the deliverance for a wayward, chi- for a wayward child, whether it's believing God for your husband, whether it's healing, whether it's employment, whether it's resources, whatever, the ca- a car, whatever it is. God's not thinking about why you can't do it. God's already worked out a plan why it will be done. And oftentimes, it's when we come together. It's when we come together in numbers, when we come together in unity, when we come together with our own company, because sometimes you'll be praying in the Holy Spirit, and five of y'all be praying for the same person. Neither one of you, now, now one of y'all know who it is. But you'll see a manifestation in somebody else's life, not knowing that you made your spiritual deposit for that person. Somebody else could be praying for you. And you thinking that all your fasting and praying manifested that? No, baby. Because he understand, while Jesus was handling things on the earth, Michael and a whole legion of angels was handling stuff up in heaven. And they were dealing with that serpent. They were dealing with that imp and all his one-third cohorts. So Jesus had help. He was taking, who do you know can handle two dimensions? Huh? Who do you know can simultaneously handle two dimensions? Wherever you are in life, I don't care how successful it may look, you didn't get there by yourself. So as we prepare to enter into this season of fasting and prayer, as we all prepare to set our default button on New Year's resolutions and what we're going to do, you know, a lot of times we take on the fasting as a great opportunity to lose some weight. And that's good, especially all the eating that I've done this past Thanksgiving and Christmas. I need some fasting and some praying. But understand that you are entering into active warfare. So keep your expectations up. Be bold about it. Know your weapon of choice. Act on it. Be who God designed you to be. Don't waste time trying to be like somebody else that you're not. You are the weapon. You are the vessel of good use. Size yourself and get ready for that. Some of you already started. Conversations I've had, some of you already got started. If you like me, you've already written down what you plan on putting on the altar. But whatever the case may be, know that there's another side of this Christmas story. There's a side beyond silent night whereby God has waged war. And the great thing about the waging war that he did on your behalf is he's already won it. It's up to you to walk in the victory. Amen? Amen. By doing your part.
Amen. Y'all get anything out of this? Praise God. You know, God is good. And if there's one thing that I always want people to know is that God is on your side. God loves you. God desires you. He put everything on the table for you. And he didn't care what it looked like. He did not care what it looked like. Jesus humbled himself and left everything good to come here for you. They could have easily had a baby born at the age of three and a half years old, sacrificed them, and that would be the propitiation. God could have came up with different ways to do it. But no, the ministry of Jesus was for your education, for your example, so that we could walk in the victory that he's already provided. You know, when, whenever I go to New York, I love the city of New York. I do. And when you're flying over New York, especially at nighttime, the lights on Times Square are beautiful. Broadway is lit up. I mean, it's beautiful. Even Brooklyn and, 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 the, and the center is lit up. It's just beautiful from the sky. It is. But when you land, you check into that Marriott Marquis, and you walk past some alleys, those rats know you by name. Hey, what's up, treasure? I ain't seen you in a while. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> New York look way different once you're in the city. It look way different. But when you have that heavenly, that upper perspective, it's easy for you to enjoy what's beautiful about the city. God, from where he is, know what he created. He know what he did in you. He know the power that he's invested in you. He know the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. And from his perspective, everything about you is beautiful. From his perspective, everybody, everything about you is light. From his perspective, everybody, everything about you is glorious. And he wants to make you walk in that. We get caught up in our own issues and situations, and then we put a halt on what God had originally designed. But from the beginning, it was not so. So with all that Jesus did for you, now that you know both sides of the Christmas story, now as we're preparing to enter into this season of fasting and praying, I encourage you to take on a spiritual perspective. I encourage you to know exactly who you are and whose you are. I encourage you to know that there's a battle that goes on for you every single day. And that battle is up here because he's already settled it. Which way will you choose? Where will you go? What will you relinquish? What's your weapon of choice? Is your weapon your tongue? Is your weapon your fight? Is your weapon your schemes? Is your weapon, there's only one weapon in God. He said his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to tear asunder the very bone from the marrow. Which will you choose? So where everyone is in the attitude of prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed. Don't miss out on the opportunity to be on the winner's side. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. Heaven is not promised to everybody that goes to church. There are a lot of people in church heading to hell with jet fuel. So if you don't know with assuredness that you are born again, saved, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, I want to pray for you. Or perhaps you do. But you've made some decisions that you know are contrary to the word of God.